this morning. You know, something I was thinking about while I was praying this morning is that sometimes we lose sight of just how awesome God is and, and how much we need God. I really need God. I think almost every person that ever fails of the grace of God, I think they fail either because they don't understand how great God is or they forget how small they are in, in His sight that, and that God loves us. You know, sometimes the devil takes people out because he deceives them to think that God doesn't care about them or God doesn't love them. And, and that, that can cause you to lose out. But the other side of that is we may not understand just how, how awesome God is and the responsibility that we have in our relationship to that fact. I was uh, in a conversation with some men the other day in Bible study and a very common theme among believers, and especially this particular group, they talk about how merciful God is and how glorious God is. And this is very true. But in the, we were talking about the fear of the Lord, and it just really struck me, and I shared it. I really felt the witness of the Holy Ghost that just as amazing God's grace is, unthinkable God's grace is, His judgment is just that terrible. His grace is amazing, but His judgment is its hard to imagine. We can't imagine how good heaven will be, and we can't imagine how terrible hell will be. And I think sometimes there is this, uh, this, this mindset we need to have towards the Lord and just a humble heart, humble mind, humble spirit of just loving the Lord and, and having a submitted heart toward Him. Because it doesn't matter how smart we may be, how strong we may be, how uh, wise we may be, how we respected we may be in the world. We could, have, we could have tens in everything, most powerful, most wise, most wealthy, but in comparison to God, but dust, a worm. And I think it's important for us to have that humble, submitted idea, spirit toward the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we love you today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us, that you shed your precious blood that we might be saved. Lord, help us, God, to see you in your proper glory and help us to see ourselves in the proper perspective of our need for you. Because, Lord Jesus, we know, Lord, and we want to more fully embrace that it really is all about love. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. I have some notes here, Brother Ryan, if you want to come get them for me. And you can leave the rest with Sister Veronica. She can give them to those that come in. It's all about love. God loves us. And we experience God's best when we choose to love God in return. How do we, how do we show God our love in return? Uh, we can't show God love by giving Him a can of strawberry jam, right? I mean, if, if we had an address, we would be glad to take him. 
some fresh baked chocolate chip cookies, right? We, how do we show the Lord that we love Him? Uh, Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, this is His love language. Y'all familiar with the love language? God's love language is, If you love me, keep my commandments. And so how we give Him what He desires, one of the things that He desires from us is for us to strive to live in a way that honors Him and honor Him specifically that we live according to His Word. His Word are the riverbanks from which the Spirit and the plan, the purpose and the prosperity of God flows. His Word, it's a narrow way, but within the banks of His Word, within the path of His Word, there is unspeakable peace, purpose and joy. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. A lot of people want joy. They pursue joy or happiness, if you will. But ultimately, it's a a progression. When you seek righteousness, righteousness produces peace. And peace produces joy. And how we pursue righteousness in simplicity is when we hear the Word, we study the Word, we would seek to reflect the truth, the beauty of that back toward the Lord. And ultimately, His spirit and plan is reflected to the world around us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. And so we know God's commands, not just through the things Jesus specifically said in the New Testament, but we know that those things that the apostles wrote are in the same way the Lord's commandments. So we receive the Word. We said this, I think, our first week. Uh, How we receive the Word is how we benefit from the Word. And we receive the Word like if Sister Tammy gave me a gift. I would receive... Thank you, Sister Tammy. Right? Or if I gave Sister Tammy a gift, she would receive that and say, Thank you, Brother Phillips. My mother, she gave me, uh, I don't know, a gift certificate to Chick-fil-A. I would say, Thank you, Mama. If I bring her a gift of fresh grilled hamburger steaks, she would receive that, right? It's just, you just open, and, and that's, that's important for us to receive the Word of God in faith. I hear the Word, I read the Word. I believe the word and I seek to live out that word. And, and as apostolics, you know, I heard someone say the other day, you know, they were talking about denominationalism, you know, some people claim to be Pentecostal or Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, and all different sorts of things. But at the end of the day, a lot of times that's a distraction from what really matters. The Bible says the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. This church is not built, thank God, on the foundation of Scott Phillips. Amen? It's not built upon the foundation of David Bernard. It's not built upon the foundation of of my grandmother or my mother or my father, your mother or your father. Uh, the, The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so really to say that we're apostolic is more reflective of our values. Pentecostalism means all kinds of stuff out there. That you got people call themselves Pentecostals that pick up snakes and drink poison and die. 
<laughs> you know how we handle snakes as apostolics? With a gun or a hoe. Right? Amen? Don't be dumb. We know how that was, that was fulfilled. The apostle Paul accidentally picked up a snake. And it bit him and he did not die. Don't pick up snakes on purpose. Right? But we as apostolics, we, we view the original documents as the only significant authority in our uh, library of theology. I've written books. I am a prolific writer. Uh, there's all kinds of... David Bernard has written some uh, prolific books. He's been a gift to the movement, a gift to the church because he has uh, delineated the doctrine that reflects the apostolic doctrine. But our church, our movement, isn't built upon that man. So... Because I've seen people that had great authority, had people had great respect for them, and then they changed their view, and they led people away from something they used to believe. And so I think it's very important that, that I love the ministry, and I know I feel love from you, but if I ever cease to diminish, discount, doubt, teach people the Word of God doesn't matter, please stop letting me be your pastor. Go find a real pastor that will preach the Word of God. Amen? Because the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And so the Word of God is important. Last week we taught a lesson uh, on holiness principles. And I have notes if anybody wants those. I'm not going to pick up from where I left off because uh, I, you could teach on those particular notes for a year. And uh, I don't plan on teaching every Sunday for the next 12 months. And so today, uh, when we, we talk about being apostolic, you know, uh, we are different from the rest of the world, the religious world. And the re then one of the ways we're different is the way we view the Scripture. If the Bible says it, why do we immerse in water and not just sprinkle or pour water on top of people? Anybody know why we do that? Right, but, but why do we do that? It's what the Scripture teaches. Now, a lot of religiosity, religion, tradition, denominationalism, their statement of faith is contrary and in contradiction in distinction different than what the Bible says. And they'll say, well, what about the thief on the cross? Or, uh, you know, baptism isn't important. You know, you've heard, we've heard all that. But we are looking at the Scripture. It doesn't matter what I think, what I feel, what my opinion is. It doesn't matter about hypothetical situations. We understand one instance in the Scripture doesn't invalidate everything that happened in the Scripture. Right? The thief didn't get baptized. Right. But we know the thief died in the Old Testament. And it's a very unique situation. How many people get to die next door to Jesus? If you can replicate that, okay, that works. But we can't just turn around and say baptism isn't important because this one instance when the Scripture shows time after time after time after time that people were commanded to be baptized and they were immersed and they did it in the name of Jesus. And we have that approach because we believe the Word of God implicitly. And so today, dealing with holiness, a holiness is an absolute requirement for Christians. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, if you want to read it with me. But as he which hath called you is holy, 
So be holy in all manner of conversation or conduct because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Holiness must involve separation from the world. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I've said this, I think I said this uh, Wednesday, but this is the only scripture that I know of in the New Testament where you have a thus saith the Lord. It's an Old Testament uh, feel in the New Testament. And what was this one instance? He says, you got to be holy. You can't be like everybody else. And if you'll be holy and be distinct from everybody else, I will be a father to you and, I, I, and I, you'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Seems important, right? So God demands an external witness of our internal holiness. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Have anybody ever heard that, that baptism is an outward show of an inward work? Anybody heard that? Now, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we receive the forgiveness of sins by being baptized in Jesus' name. That's what the Bible says. But holiness is an outward show of an inward work. Right? So uh, that's something to keep in mind. I think that the, they just got the wrong topic. Baptism doth now save us. But holiness is an outward show of an inward work. In, first, in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with a lot of issues. And when he gets to chapter 11, uh, would somebody get a mic and help me read just so it's not just my voice? Brother Noah, would you get a mic? Brother BJ, Brother Jacob, somebody help me read. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful today that uh, I didn't have to have a revelation of holiness because I was raised around people that believed it and taught it. I've had pastors, but I didn't have to get a revelation about baptism in Jesus' name, right? Because I was raised around people that believed it and taught it. And I think it's very important, the fact that we do have that blessing, but I think it's important for us to be able to give a reason for the, the, the things that we do and have a, a biblical answer. And so uh, uh, that's the purpose, teaching this and providing the material. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, uh, Brother Noah, you want to read the first few verses? Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I pray to you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Okay. Every man, Go ahead. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered 
Okay, so you notice there is a tradition in the South that people take their hats off when they pray. That's where this comes from. That comes from this scripture that says, if you have your head covered when you pray or prophesy, you're dishonoring your head. But the scripture is not talking about hats, right? Uh, Brother Noah, you want to pass it down? Let Brother DJ read a few. But every woman that prayeth or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaken. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, the woman is the glory of man. Very good. So I want you to notice this. So there is a there's a distinction between men and women. Uh, you know, that's like a that's like a hate speech today for our world. I mean, I, Brother BJ dealt with it the other day. The Supreme Court, new Supreme Court justice, maybe one of the most educated, intelligent women in the in America today, could not say what a woman was, claiming she's not a biologist. But you can go ask Olivia or Braden, and they know what a man and a woman is because nature teaches us these things. I used to have a brother-in-law that uh, he and I argued. This is 10, 15 years ago. We argued about the fact that little boys and little girls are that way because they're born that way. And he was making the case they're different because they're treated different ways. And, uh, you know, I, have, I don't have any girls but I know there's, there's just men and women are different, right? And so Paul is making a point that in this area of ordinances, the ordinances that he gave to the church, he is explaining to them that the head of every woman is the man. Again, this would be so offensive to our culture. And the head of every man is Christ. And he says... It is a shame for a man to pray with his head covered. And it is a shame for a woman to pray with her head covered. I got them mixed up. A man to pray with his head covered and for a woman to pray with her head uncovered. Now, some people read this scripture and they say, well, you need to have a veil when you pray. You'll see sometimes ladies uh, in an apostolic movement connected and women will wear a little a hat or a little scarf on their head. Well, that's where that comes from. And they are taught that the covering is a hat or a veil. But the scripture tells us, it, 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 you just keep reading. If you read a scripture you don't understand, in almost every circumstance, read ahead of it and read behind it and it explains it all. So what's the next verse? Verse 8, Brother Jacob, you want to read? For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head as opposed to the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Amen. Is it correct? Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? 
Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covenant. But if a man, if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Amen. So one of the things that make us as apostolics distinct from the rest of the world is we have continued to teach that women should look like women, dress like women, and act like women. In most of the religious world, this is never covered. And if it is, they, they discount this and they say it is cultural. But Paul in his writing, he says to them, I've given you these ordinances and I want you to keep them going. And when he makes the case, he speaks to creation. He is not speaking to their culture. He's speaking to the original order God instituted. And in his institution of it, he said, it's a shame for man to have long hair. I think I saw... Is it Mark Lowry that's the comedian singer with the Gaithers? And one time he made a comment about men having long hair. He says, it's a shame, but it's not a sin. Well, if you read the scripture and you look at the word for shame, uh, it is this, uh, this Greek word that if you wanted to be bold, Brother BJ, and pronounce it for us all, I would let you. But I'm not going to. And that, that Greek word means to dishonor or to disgrace. Uh, infamy, indignity, reproach, shame, vile. So Paul says that by nature we know that it's not normal for a man to have long hair. And you see that. It's, it's odd. I actually saw a picture of a man just recently, and he had very pretty, long, blonde locks and a beard. And I thought to myself, that looks like a transgender man, right? I'm sure you've seen the Matt Walsh in, uh, interview with uh, Dr. Phil not long ago, and you had a man, long hair with a beard, and it just looks perverse. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying. Nature teaches us that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And in the same way, God, what verse is it? Uh, verse 15, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. And we can look naturally. Uh, most men spend uh, a total of, uh, how much time did you spend combing your hair today, Brother BJ? Not long. Right. There's a range, anywhere from you know five seconds and two minutes. How long did you spend on your hair, Brother Jacob? A minute. 60 seconds. I would say in most cases, ladies, as a rule, spend a lot of time on their hair. Dad, how much time did you spend on your hair? A second and a half. Mother, how long did you spend on your hair? Oh, my goodness. Dad, keep it to yourself. That's unbelievable. 
But the point is, if you go, if you go and look at how many hair products you can buy for a man or how many hair products you can buy for a woman, there's, there's no comparison. Naturally, ladies are tend to uh, be much more concerned about what their hair looks like. A little dab will do you for a fella. Uh, and it's obvious, I don't, I mean, I look at the mirror once a day whether I need to or not. And, and barely, just barely. But I, I think it's important for us to recognize that there is built within us individually as men and women, uh, XXXY, God created us distinct on the inside to the chromosomal level and He made us different, and he has different expectations from men and women. And let the church say amen. amen. And so um, I'm going to just start here at the top. I want to read it again. Be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. That's theology, headship. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Who's his head? Christ. So if you pray or prophesy with long hair, you're not dishonoring yourself, you're dishonoring God, right? And every, uh, every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all as one if, as if she were shaven. So it's not a hat, it's hair. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. Anybody know what a shears are? Let her be shorn. It's too sheer. But, it is, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn, to, to shear or to shave, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought, to, ought not to cover his head, for as he is an image of, and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man, for the man is not made not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Amen. So I want, to, I want us to think about this for a minute. So there is an angelic connection between a woman's hair and the angels. I, I, I actually have some notes, and those of you that want them, it's about eight pages, and it covers all of this, and I'm not trying to teach a month on this, but I want to cover it in principle and those of you that really want to know, I have notes up here that covers it exhaustively. It is known that witches don't cut their hair because witches know that there's power in their hair. This is a known fact to those that are in the occult. Uh, many times a witch in an effort to curse someone to be sure it sticks, they want a piece of their hair. And so there is a spiritual principle. Paul is alluding to the fact that there is a connection, a supernatural connection between a woman and the spiritual realm where angels 
dwell. And it's about submission. The, the, the error of Satan and the fallen angels is they wanted to be equal with God. They were not trying to be superior to God. They were simply trying to be equal with God. And so it was the lack of submission. Now, I know a reason why most people, most ladies cut their hair is they've never heard this taught. Would you agree? <laughs> this is not taught. But it's in their Bible. The preacher, the teacher that gets up and teaches, it's in their Bible. And if it ever is dealt with, they totally dismiss it. And they say, well, this is cultural. But Paul is not writing from a cultural perspective. He says nature, creation, all the way back to the fall. There is something supernatural. And essentially the angels, when, we, when a lady uh, chooses not to cut her hair, because it's not, the Bible says long hair, that word is a Greek word, K-O-M-A-O. And it doesn't mean long in length. It means long as in not cut. It means to let the hair grow. Some ladies, can, their hair can be a train. I've seen ladies where they had to, to, to tie it on the end so they wouldn't step on it. And some ladies' hair, my mother's hair, never been very long. It just, right? How long does your hair come down? Your shoulders? Yeah, it's never been long, but she doesn't cut her hair. And so... Uh, different cultures, different people, their hair is different. So the principle isn't length. The principle is to leave it in its natural state and not to cut it. Because if you are going to trim it, you might as well shave your head. That's what the scripture says. If you trim it, you might as well shave it. And in the Bible, for a woman to have a shaved head, that was a, a shame. And a shame is, shame is sin. And a lot of people don't know it. And truth of the matter is, we do live in a world where people do believe ignorance equals innocence. I don't want to know. Because <laughs> they really believe, well, if I don't know about it, I won't be held accountable. Right? But that's not true. The Bible teaches that ignorance and blindness is a product of the devil but whom the God of this world had blinded the eyes of their mind, lest they see. And ultimately, we need to have a, a hunger and a desire. What does the Word say, and how do I live it? And the Word teaches. You know, it seems to be so ancillary, so uh, uh, such an accessory. Well, you know, is it, does it really matter? Anybody ever heard anybody say, is this a heaven or hell issue? I think it can be, because... How we respond to the Word of God. I mean, the, the Bible tells us that He will we'll be judged by His Word. And granted, there are things, you know, the bottom line is it doesn't matter how what you do with your hair, if you've not been born again, you're going to go to hell, right? If you don't forgive others, it doesn't matter how long you're here, you're going to go to hell, right? It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside if you're doing some terrible thing. But as we grow, the Bible says, add to your faith. What's it say? Add to your faith. Come on, somebody knows. Add to your faith virtue. That's what Paul says. Add to your faith virtue. So when you first believe, you first get saved. You don't know nothing. You got faith. Hey, when you have faith in your something inside of you, says, I want to do better. 
I want to please God. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And so there is this spectrum that as we grow in God, we start out in faith, but we don't stay simply in faith. We grow in our virtue. You could say we grow in our holiness and we grow in our knowledge. What knowledge do we grow in? A lot of that is directly connected to what we know about the Word of God. And a lot of people don't have an understanding because the Word of God's not taught. You know, I had a friend of mine, I had someone come to them uh, and, and say to them, you know, I just, I think if we, of our pastors and our preachers could preach more like Joel Olstein, we could reach the world. And so this pastor, he didn't take it personal. He wanted to know, why, what does that mean? So he took about 90 days and he listened to Joel Olstein, everything that came out of Lakewood. And he kept a note and he, paid, he basically made notes of what he preached about. And after, after listening to, to 90 days of his preaching and teaching, not one time did he mention the word sin. Not one time did he mention the word repent. Not one time did he mention the word hell. And he went through all these biblical principles. A lot of what Joel Olstein... In fact, he said, I didn't hear anything Joel Olstein say I disagreed with. But it's what he didn't preach. And what we have to understand is that righteousness isn't just uh, believing and receiving the favor and the blessings of the Lord, but it's also abstaining. It's y'all understand what I'm saying? It's a there's there's right and wrong. There's righteousness and wickedness. There is a dividing line. You know, I've heard it say, you know, well, doctrine is so divisive. You know, let's 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 just focus on the majors and. And, and don't worry about the minor things. Anybody heard that before? But at the end of the day, truth by its very nature is offensive. I mean, right now it's offensive to some to say uh, that, that uh, Brother Ryan and Sister Jennifer are going to have a boy and a girl. I heard the other day that, that uh, uh, doing a pregnancy test and someone said uh, that, that for a doctor to say that a little boy or a little girl is born that that's transphobic. I mean, we live in a crazy world. But I think it's amazing that the insanity that's going on today, the, the Scripture has a cure. In the beginning, God made them male and female. Created He them. And for this cause, a man and a woman, right? The Scripture is very clear. A woman is the one that has the babies. A man cannot have a baby. What's a woman? A woman is a, a female of the human species. And we're all adults here. Women have female reproductive organs, right? And a man has male reproductive organs. And they fit together. Why do they fit together? Because that's how life is made. It's, it's God's plan. If you go to the hardware store... Uh, there is a male side and a female side. They all connect together. It's engineering. But we live in a world, and I think that if the church ever return to essential, basic, biblical holiness, this is our time to shine. You know, I, I name these denominations not to be uh, offensive to anyone that may be watching, but the Methodist church is going to split because they're pastors and bishops that want to ordain 
not just homosexuals, they want to ordain transgender individuals. And Methodism, the spirit of holiness that taught a lot of these things we're teaching, is what produced pray and fasting holiness people that, that, the, the, that, that, that Azusa Street came from, and the, the, the camp meetings, and the revelation. A lot of that came from this holiness-minded people. And now they're not even a shadow of what they used to be. It's controversy in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a controversy, uh, uh, Episcopal, all the different denominations. But just imagine if they would have not ceased to teach on modesty and gender distinction. You go back 50 years. I'm getting older. You have to go back further. But you go back 50 years. If you went to a, a Southern Baptist Convention, a Methodist Convention, a Presbyterian Convention... Everyone in those pictures look like women. And they're wearing dresses. And they're not short-haired, right? And the men, they're very distinct. And what has happened is as the church has become silent on issues that seem to be so ancillary, look at, look, look I think to a great degree, our country's, in the case, this case it is, is because our Christianity is so biblically unsound. You know, they got out of the homes before it was out of the schools. You know, there's so few people today in, in, in Jackson, in the Clinton area, that go to church. And those that do go to church, what they're hearing is uh, more like Joel Olstein and less like Paul. Right? Amen. So, uh, the Bible teaches Christian women today do need to have long, uncut hair because, number one... It demonstrates her acceptance of her God-given role. Number two, it demonstrates her submission to her husband or father. Number three, it brings permission, influence, and jurisdiction in the spirit realm, power on her head because of her submission. I don't, there was a, some people talking about holy, was it holy righteous hair? Holy hair, what was it? Yeah, anyway. Uh, and, and, and there were... Stories, I've heard stories, people that I know, their child would be sick or they would be uh, dealing with some uh, catastrophe. And a lady in her prayer, they would say, Lord, I have been true to you. And they would hold their hair up and say, Lord, I've been true to you. I ask you to touch my child or touch my husband, help us out of this situation. And miracles have been done. It's not that there's power in a, there's not power in the follicles of a woman's hair. There's power in the obedience. Anything we do in obedient faith has power. Whether it's baptism in Jesus' name, whether it's giving of tithe and offering, or whether it's reflecting our obedience to God. A man cutting his hair, a woman letting her hair grow. We are doing that in obedient submission to His Word. And when we do that, there is power in a woman's hair. <laughs> There's power in a man's baldness or short-hairedness. Hallelujah. Number five, it is a disgrace, a shame before God for a woman to cut her hair. That's what the Bible says, right? It's not what I'm saying. Uh, number six, nature instinct teaches us these principles. Number seven, it maintains a definitive line of distinction between the sexes. Her hair, it is her glory. God has a good opinion of her and reflects God's glory. Number nine, her submission is a type of the church's submission to Christ. 
And number 10, God requested. And finally, Paul says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that are right unto you are the commandments of the Lord. And everybody said amen. Father, I thank you today for your word. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your word truly would continue to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. I pray, Lord Jesus, that not only would your word be as clear as it's written, but Lord Jesus, you would confirm your word to us with signs following. And everybody said in Jesus' name, yes. Yeah.